This is Not Quite Dead, a gal pal horror movie discussion podcast. We do deep dives on our favorite scary movies, but sometimes we really just like to keep it shallow. I'm your host, Kate. I'm Megan. Get ready for all the spoilers. characters names <laughs> I like didn't learn anyone's names while I was watching it <laughs> I'm so excited I'm so glad so that uh, oh my god I've watched it three times <laughs> I love how you decided this episode to call out Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan for, for nepotism <laughs> Like, like they're the first Hollywood couple to ever get their kid into a project. I was like, just so uh, Dan Levy. I was so annoyed with this movie that I was just like, "Fuck you, Dennis Quaid." I was like, "Oh, it's Dennis Quaid. I love Dennis Quaid." Meg Ryan did you dirty? <laughs> oh man, I love our totally opposite takes on all this shit. <laughs> Well, we've talked about Dennis Quaid, Dennis Quaid, and not Meg Ryan, not his son. They're not in this movie, but we've talked about all three. So Dennis Quaid's in this movie. Dennis Quaid is in this movie. So is Ben Foster. Ben Foster of 310 to Yuma. For those of you who may not remember, he was like the main bad guy in that, basically, other than Russell Crowe. But uh, he was pretty cool. Kim Ijigande is also in this movie, who was briefly a very hot commodity for being in the Twilight trilogy, which is where I, kn- I know him from. Oh, the the guy who plays young Gallo, yep. right? Yep. Is that him? Yeah, young Gallo is Kim Ijigande. Okay. Which I will give him- I thought he looked familiar. I'll give him some credit. I thought that he actually pulled off like a convincing younger Dennis Quaid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he looked like him a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes those like younger actor castings <laughs> no, are really he... annoying. <laughs> yes. No, it, it was a good match. It was definitely a good match. I agree. Eddie Rouse, who was this really cool character actor. He died recently, kind of recently. Um, he plays. Oh, what's that guy's name? Leland. Leland. He plays yeah. Leland. Leland the yeah. Did you know that he was in Westworld, the pilot episode. Oh, I don't. He had a really small role. They intended an arc for him and died a few days later after shooting the first episode. Oh, that's so sad. It was sad, and they didn't reshoot it. Like, they didn't recast him or anything, so they just let him have his role and ended it. But I I thought that was so... I thought that was so cool. Um, I was happy to look him up. I'm always happy to look up these guys who I've never 
known before. I, I didn't realize who they were or what they've done. And it's always fun to kind of catch those little tidbits like, oh, you actually have seen this guy. You just didn't know. Yeah, this this movie has a pretty good cast with a plot that just totally fails them. <laughs> well, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to controversial opinion number one. Pandorum. Kate and Meg are going to go at it. We have differing opinions on this movie. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a good old fashioned alien fight in this one. Yeah. Kate, I have to ask you, did you like Resident Evil? Have you seen Resident Evil? I don't think I've seen Resident Evil. Oh, have you seen Mortal Kombat? No. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) So Paul W.S. Anderson produced all of those. Uh, Well, directed Resident Evil and Mortal Kombat. So I'm very curious um, if you'll like it. He produced this. And it really has his name written all over it. Like when I watched this, I was like, yeah, I can see why this is Paul W.S. Anderson. (laughs) It's it's like, it's fine. (laughs) I went to Paul W.S. Anderson's Wikipedia page and it really stuck out to me the not to be confused with Paul Thomas Anderson warning (laughs) at the top. And I was like, oh, Wikipedia, you do not need to be concerned about anyone confusing him with Paul Thomas Anderson. (laughs) I have I have flubbed and like mistakenly messed up their names. Right. But I like in my head, I knew who I was talking about. (laughs) Like, uh, will there be blood or Resident Evil? I don't know. Big difference. This mo- this movie was so challenging for me. It we've seen so many bad movies, and we have loved so many bad movies. And so I wasn't turned off when I saw that it was a twenty percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I wasn't scared when I saw that the budget was thirty three million and it only grossed twenty. <laughs> That's true. Sunshine also lost money. Right. And I mean, most horror movies score pretty badly. So I was was prepared to enjoy this movie and I just hit a wall with it. I was just (laughs) not able to get into it or connect with it. And when I was done watching it, Mike looked at me and was like, well, it's better than a lot of the Saw movies. And I was like, don't you dare. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's pretty controversial, too. I don't know. I th- I didn't I don't even think I could enjoy it from like a so bad it's good perspective. Man, I mean, OK, I watched it three times in the last week. And every time I watched it, I, I lo- liked it a little bit more. <laughs> Now, to be fair, the first time I watched it, I was super tired and a little high, so I wasn't quite understanding everything, but I was excited to rewatch it sober so that I'd get more out of it. And I thought it was sort of fun. I I, I thought it was a fun movie, and it, and it wasn't great. It had flaws, but I enjoyed it. I, I had fun sitting through it. <laughs> I was It was trying. I mean, maybe I need to give it another shot. It's going to be a while before I give it another shot. I did only watch it once. It was one of those situations where about 
like a third of the way into the movie, I was like, oh, this is just how this movie is. And so I might have started stonewalling it a little bit. (laughs) So I might need to open up my heart and try it again at some point. But for the purposes of this review, I'm going to just I'm just going to put it all out there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I won't fault you if you don't rewatch it. It's it's one of these movies that's kind of cool if you catch it. And if you're doing a podcast, maybe rewatch it. Uh, if you want to get more out of it, but you know, you don't need to, you don't need to watch it. It's okay. It'll be okay if you miss this one. Um, it, it's fun if, if you're forgiving, but I can see why you didn't like it, Kate. Oh my gosh. I don't even know where to start with this one. Kate, can you walk us through all 738 parts of this film? There are really briefly so many elements <laughs> to this plot it's so convoluted. Uh, Cliff's notes, a flight crew corporal unexpectedly awakes on what seems to be an abandoned ship on some part of its journey to a new planet that is home to the remaining population of Earth after resource wars have devastated the population. There's a lot. It reached reached the boiling point. It reached a boiling as, point. As the, the title card stated. <laughs> Which like, okay, sure. Uh, the yeah, director. Whatever that means. The director is a German guy. So like maybe it's the translation thing. Um, but the, the, I don't even know. Okay. So the, <laughs> he wakes up and wakes up another member of the flight crew and the two of them need to figure out what is going on with the ship where where they are at in space and why things seem to have gone wrong so terribly terribly wrong on their path to this new earth which they are calling tanis and they can't remember what their mission is right when they wake up yes so I want to. There's just, a like, little memento wanna, going on. I just want to get into it. Yeah. So this guy yeah. Bauer, um, he wakes up um, in this pod type situation. Um, it's very Matrix like. This movie came out in 2009, and yeah, I, I think it just it cribs a lot in these early scenes from like the Matrix, like kind of pod awakening scenes because he wakes up so violently he does he's screaming and angry and like rips tubes out of his arms and it's weird like why are you so what's going on with you why are you so angry right now I know and I couldn't figure out if it was because of his disorientation at being woken up out of cycle from when he was supposed to have been woken up or what but he's like stomping around and trying to like break things open and yeah ripping stuff off of his body you're just like dang dude like chill out (laughs) he's like smashing he's trying to smash open another person's pod and i'm just like that can't be good for that person if that's the way they wake up yeah but go you do you he just wants everyone you do you foster yeah he wants everyone else to suffer and the immediate effects for him and his um, other flight crew captain Peyton who also wakes up 
is the amnesia. So they wake up and it takes them a second to remember even who they are. And they can remember like little scraps of information about their lives, but they're really at a loss for what has happened to them and and what's really going on with their journey. Really convenient about their amnesia. I wanted to point this out early. It's, you know, they realize that the ship, there's something fucked up about the ship and they need to go fix it. And Bauer is like, well, I don't know who I am. I don't know who you are. I don't know what the mission is, but I know everything there is to know about a nuclear reactor. So let me go fix it (laughs) because I somehow know that's also the problem. Everything in this movie (laughs) is so convenient. So, yeah, it's very convenient. (laughs) Yeah, it's It's fun. It takes you right along. It just (laughs) drops you in and it's like, here's some plot and here's some more plot and here's some different plot. Uh, Dennis Quaid's character, who plays the older, more seasoned captain, He also has amnesia, but can remember what the terms of their flight crew sojourns were. So this journey is supposed to take 123 years from Earth to Tannis. And in order to get all 60,000 people on board there, uh, they are put into this like stasis. It's like this deep hypersleep that should keep them um, asleep the whole time where the flight crew is the only ones who are being awoken periodically. So every two years, a flight crew changes out and the original crew, they go back into their hypersleep and the, the next crew comes out, they man it for two years and then they go back into their hypersleep. And so Peyton within like minutes of waking up remembers all of this detail, but he can't remember if he's married or not, he can't remember where they're at. He doesn't know what's going on. The ship is like decrepit. It's super dusty. It looks like it hasn't been touched in years. So like, you know, something is is really amiss from the get-go here. So the crew realizes something's wrong, but they don't know anything about themselves. But Bauer does this thing that drives me crazy. And we'll get into this later. He knows that he has a girl, right? He knows that he has a wife that he cares about. And he's just like, I need to go find this this wife. I need to go find our wives because he notices a, a ring on on a Peyton's finger too. And that becomes like this weird obsession with him during this movie. He has to go find these people. He has to go m- fix the reactor and make sure that everyone's families are okay and along the way, he, like, meets meets these little friends who are like, oh, you just woke up because you don't know what's going on. Like, it, they kind of keep you on your toes, I think, in this beginning section. You can't tell who has Pandorum and who doesn't, right? Because Pandorum is, like, this space madness that goes around. And then When name, you're in space, I guess. The name Pandorum kills me. Like... I feel like it would have felt more genuine if they were just like, oh, yeah, this is like the space crazies or something. Like, I don't know. I felt like it was very, like, (laughs) contrived. The space crazies (laughs) is better than Pandorum, folks. For how goofy this movie is. Yes. (laughs) Every time I read Space Madness or or someone says, oh, it's just Space Madness, I think of, like, Ren and Stimpy. Like, it's just... (laughs) 
it's like they're just close-ups of their veins and like pustules and they're I don't know going in and out like in their disgusting eyeballs and like it's space madness like I I I actually uh I looked up Pandorum to see if it was real obviously it's not um the closest thing to orbital dysfunctional syndrome was like orbital apex syndrome which is has something to do with like vision loss and and really has nothing to do with outer space. So I was kind of bummed that it wasn't real. Mm. But space madness is a is a an idea that's been toyed with for a really long time. Twilight Zone too. Yeah, we see we see space madness come up. I think it's the the isolation. Um, it, they play into it. I mean, they talk about it. I feel like fairly early on into the movie, this idea that. Um, on another ship, um, a catastrophic failure happened when uh, the captain succumbed to Pandorum. Like we said, it's orbital dysfunctional syndrome (ODS), but they all call it slang for, like, you know, with Pandorum. This captain got it, killed his crew, and forcibly ejected all of the pods of people just into space, and you get this. <laughs> Isn't that awful? Like, okay, why is there an option to just forcibly eject all people into space? Well, when I mean, I mean, spoiler alert, the end of this movie is a reason, Kate. Come on. I mean, that's what I mean. It's like everything is so contrived. It's like, oh, we're going to need a way to get these bodies out of this ship at the end of the movie. So let's just write in at the beginning of the movie a way for that to happen by having all of these bodies like in their pods ejected into space like there's not even a way to like easily pick them up and then all of these people just like die in their pods it doesn't make any sense Megan (laughs) I mean I'm no astronaut but I have to imagine that at some point maybe if you're like make it into the earth's atmosphere and your ship is like having problems and it would just be easier to eject everyone to earth you eject them i don't know i don't know i mean can you imagine? like i said i'm I'm not an astronaut can you imagine building the infrastructure for your ship that says not only does this ship need to hold sixty thousand people but each individual pod needs to have the ability to access the outside of the ship to be ejected at speed because they don't just get <laughs> and no way to get out yeah no way to get out <laughs> and oh my gosh and we'll get to the end of the movie when we get there but I mean just like the ending too I know oh my gosh yes so. I was thinking about how cold it must have been for those people right before they died right like getting ejected into space in those tiny little pods like those pods are thin and these people aren't in like water you know like uh embryonic fluid or or like have a lot of it doesn't look like there's a lot of uh insulation no so i have to imagine they just freeze to death in those fucking pods it's a horrible death um, they probably would oh, have lost that o- was horrifying they probably would have lost oxygen first because do they probably. have oxygen hookups in these little pods maybe if they're still connected to the ship just everything about it feels so like so much of this movie is like, don't think about it too much. We've got another, yeah, exactly. We've got another element coming to you, so don't worry about this one. <laughs> Ex- yeah, don't worry about it, guys. Just they got ejected. It sucked. We move on, and 
And hey, maybe that'll come up later. Mm, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. It's Chekhov's <laughs> explosive ejection of pods. Um, but Pandorum is, it's indicated. So there's some indicators, right? So it's triggered by emotional distress and the symptoms of the it shakes. are, yeah, shakes, nosebleeds, um, hallucinations, um, paranoia, and it's uh, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, they're talking about this space madness that's called Pandorum. That's the name of the movie. Funny how we're currently dealing with like a nuclear reactor and <laughs> trying to find wives and we're well, just talking about Pandorum right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they can't they can't get to this nuclear reactor if they have Pandorum, Kate. It's a big deal. Well, it turns out they can't get to the nuclear reactor without getting through the murderous <laughs> aliens first. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, they're not even aliens. It's it's they're just like monsters. They're like monsters that are of our own making, right? This, you know, you you kind of got into it. Uh, Peyton, who we know to be Peyton, uh, we find out eventually in this in this movie that he's the reason. Um, why those monsters exist and they're not aliens which you know we kind of think they are when we see them um i myself thought they were gene stealers <laughs> for anybody who gets the reference uh warhammer <laughs> <laughs> just 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 putting it out there um and they're people they're they're like ex people that they that he like released into the wilds of the ship yeah there's tied into pandorum there's this not like a long part of the plot but like pretty significant is after bauer has gone off to go figure out the nuclear reactor peyton is manning the ship he's trying to give him guidance on how to get there and he hears like this scream like screaming like he hears like he sees like movement in these like big like ship cable things and he goes over and he sees like a, a hand and we've seen earlier in the movie bauer has run into dead bodies all over this ship and so you don't know if it's a dead body or what's going on and he pulls out this naked dude who's like shaking doesn't know what's going on and clearly has pandorum yeah something like very wrong with this guy <laughs> and so then we get this like plot of peyton dealing with this guy named gallo right so gallo does not seem like a great element on this ship i didn't understand i mean how long was it before you thought that this guy was maybe a hallucination okay <sighs> I hate myself for this. I was reading stuff about the movie, like, casually, and I came across a line that said, you know, this person is actually this person. And mm. I was like, fuck, that's this. Oh, okay, like, the twist, yeah. I, I missed the names. Yeah. I And I was like, fuck, that's it. Like, that's what's happening right now. And I was trying to decide if I would have figured it out. And you guys, I mean... I couldn't tell that uh, the ghost in Last Christmas was dead until I it was like slapping me across the face. So I doubt I would have figured it out here. But it 
it, I thought it transitioned nicely into helping the audience understand what was happening. You know, the more the scene went on and the more you followed Bauer in the juxtaposition, the more you understood, oh, this is Gallo. Um, and I think, I think I would have figured it out before it became, you know, like a writing on the wall type mm-hmm. situation. Yeah. So mm, pretty late in the game, but <laughs> I I liked it. I did like it. <laughs> I was hoping the whole movie was something cooler than it was, which I think is maybe part of the reason why I was let down. So the twist here is you think that Peyton... 20%, Kate, 20%. <laughs> you think Peyton is taking care of this guy who's massively suffering from Pandorum and you realize that he, he Peyton, is actually hallucinating a younger version of himself who was, in fact, suffering from Pandorum and was the inciting factor for all of the mayhem happening on the ship. When Peyton was younger, he killed his crew. He incited Pandorum and the other like ship members and shoved them all into the nuclear reactor space. And they all mutated into what looked like aliens, but are actually these like cannibal human monster hybrids. And the, the reveal of, of him being a hallucination of, of Gallo, you know, Gallo is actually Gallo. He just took on Peyton's name. I think was was fine. What I had hoped was because like I think kind of not immediately, but like after some point, I was like, okay, this guy's definitely either a hallucination, maybe a younger version of him, based on the other plot that was happening at the same time. I was really hoping that it would be something cool, like maybe their ship had gotten like caught in the orbit of like a black hole or something, and it was causing all of these issues and maybe what he was seeing was like actually himself like maybe like time was like doubling up on itself Mm. or something and like I see and I was hoping that it was like yes it was him dealing with his younger self but I was hoping it wasn't a hallucination I was hoping hoping it was like oh this is space doing crazy space shit that's what I was hoping for you we're hoping that this was a critically acclaimed film when in fact <laughs> it is not. <laughs> when in fact it is a film that bankrupted one of its production companies. <laughs> I know. And I was just I understand. I see. I was just projecting. I and I do this all the time. I'll be watching a movie and when it starts to lose me, I start to rewrite it in my head where I'm like, oh, if they had That's just you're smart. if I had just if they had just done this then like that plot line would have been really tidy or like really interesting. And instead it's just like, no, he's just like hallucinating. And it's just, it's just Pandorum. He just has Pandorum. That's what that, (sighs) that's that's the the problem with these movies. Yeah. Because with Jason X, it was, yeah, we were both doing this the whole time. We were like, how could we have written this so that it would be more fun to watch? Not to make it better, right? Like just to make it, Well, I guess better in one sense, but it never would have been a good movie, right? But we wanted to rewrite it just to make it funner to watch. Mm -hmm. And movies like this in the middle where there's some cool production value, some cool plot devices, but some serious problems. It's like hard to find that middle ground. Like I'm like, eh, 
it's not great, but I had fun watching it. Yeah. And and like, it's also very tempting to take it and be like, but it could have been another Inish seller if X, Y, Z, like it's one of those in-betweeners. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I, <laughs> I think that if they had had a more cohesive vision with it, it, it would have, it would have really come together more. I think that the, yeah, yeah, I think the, the technology even that they have is really interesting. And, but the way they use it, I mean, this ship is huge. Like maybe one of the biggest ships that we've seen in the movies so far. It's in the season. Yeah. In the season. Yeah. It's really big. Oh yeah. It's huge. Yeah. It's bigger than sunshines it's bigger than yeah aliens is pretty small it has a light like a large payload that it's carrying but it's a small ship this one's carrying sixty thousand people so it's gonna be huge and most of the ship is just in hypersleep it's it's like this tomb floating across space it's really dark and kind of creepy and then of course you've got these mutants thrown in there uh, along with all these silent bodies that it's carrying. Um, and so all of the technology is really just surrounded uh, or surrounding keeping these people alive, just helping them through their journey. Right. And the hypersleep that they put them into, there's two elements in, in it that I think are really interesting. One of them is they know that the atmosphere on Tannis is going to be slightly different than Earth's atmosphere. And so they're doing a constant injection into their bloodstream to try and help them adapt while still living to what the new atmosphere will be like, which is wild. Absolutely. Like the fact that we would have that technology yeah. to help like living people evolve while still living but not be able to figure out like resource issues on the planet. (laughs) I mean, yeah. And this movie does take place mm, about 150 years in the future because that's when apparently the battle for resources have reached their boiling point on earth. So that's when we travel to Tannis. Um, So I can kind of buy it. It's far enough out where I'm like, yeah, maybe. We don't know what direction we're going to go that far out, I think. Um, so it didn't it didn't bother me. I thought it was a really cool. Uh, hear me out, Kate. <laughs> I thought it was a really cool, unique explanation for why the fuck there are mutants on the ship. You know, there's something about this serum that messes with you. Um, on an evolutionary level. Yes. I. I like the idea. Like I, I do think, and I will give it that, that it's clever to say when you take people and give them Pandorum and these people are all hopped up on these, you know, evolution enhancing epigenetic drugs in their system, then they will adapt to the surroundings that they're in. It's not about the atmosphere necessarily. It's about helping them to adapt to the situation that they're in. I don't know. It's hard for me to buy that that's what they would have mutated into. Like, 
I think that the like pale skin makes sense because they're like in a dark ship. There's no sun. Yeah, there's no sun, yeah. dark ship. I don't know. Maybe it, like the Pandorum just like messes with their brains so much that that's what makes them into like not even close to humans at all. It's very like animalistic in their like behavior. Yeah. I didn't understand the spines along the back. There were uh, not all of them, but I think a few of them, maybe the leaders, or maybe I just only saw or noticed one, but they had these like large spines on their back that were kind of, you could see them in the shadows that were cast in the very beginning when they're walking across screen. Mm -hmm. And that's actually what made me think they were gene stealers. I was like, (laughs) oh, they must be riffing off Warhammer. Um, I mean, they still might have been. The, the Tyranids, <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit for the design. But I I didn't understand that um, part for evolution. It's like it was close, but like still pushed like just far enough where it's like, okay, I'm not like totally sure how they would have gotten from like A to B in terms of their mutation with this. Yeah. yeah, but they looked great. I thought that the makeup and the prosthetics looked really good and really fun. And when that little baby monster mm, came out, mm-hmm. I screamed in my seat. <laughs> yeah, I, <he> did. <laughs> I was like, kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it. And they, everyone's hesitating. It's a child. And I was like, oh, my God, you guys, you're fucking idiots. Kill it. Um, and of course, it gets its comeuppance later, which was pretty funny, but also irritating. <laughs> I liked the uh, makeup with the eyes. Uh, I thought that yeah. the way that they did the eyes was really cool. They're like kind of very large, like all pupil eyes. Because I mean, it's a dark ship. So like that makes sense. Um, these mutants like sleep in huge dog piles, like hun- hundreds yes. of them like sleeping in these like, like a big orgy, constantly <laughs> writhing, moving sleep. And I'm just like, Ugh, why would Gross. you mutate into that? It doesn't look great at all. Why would you want that? I know. Maybe they their early uh their ancestors just really liked orgies and it turned into that. I don't know. Yeah, kind of goofy. And and then of course there's nothing else to eat on the ship, so they eat people. They break into pods. They're able to do it. Bowers not, but they are. Um and steal steal people out of the pods and just eat them. Um, disembowel them or if you know if anybody wakes up and and goes looking for them then they're disemboweled and hung from the ceiling I guess as a trap they can also make traps so which makes yeah, sense yeah. since they're descendants of people you know it makes sense that they'd hold on to those rudimentary things but they can't talk they just scream yeah the characterization is like all over the place like they can't talk they just scream they're having families they're clothing themselves they're using they're using weapons and they're they're building traps but they're also sleeping like in big animal piles and yeah there's one scene where there's a fight between one of the guys and one of the mutant cannibals and the mutant cannibal pauses throws the other guy a spear so that they can fight it's like predator so they can fight on equal terms and i'm like what the fuck is happening <laughs> they have a culture kate it's a culture of you know just like predators what they normally do though is they catch someone in a <laughs> trap disembowel them and then a dozen of them 
all glom onto the body and eat the person alive. Like, why are yeah. they doing Yeah. Like, I was just like, this yeah. is all over the place. <laughs> I, uh, I, I let that go because I was like, oh, this is cool. I had like a total <laughs> bro moment. I was like, oh, I like this. <laughs> um, and I was just like, oh, okay, well, he's alone. He's with this other guy who's pretty beefy. And he just wants to take him on, I guess. Like, he doesn't have his army at his back. He's just, like, doing this for his own. I'm lying. I didn't think about this at all when I was watching the movie. (laughs) Only now that I'm trying to defend it. But uh, I did watch it. And I was like, oh, this is super cool. And and that was how it ended. When I was watching it, I was like, wait, did he just throw him a weapon so that they could fight? (laughs) I was like, yes, let's go. (laughs) Equal footing. I want to see this. And I thought for sure the farmer, I thought Mon was going to lose. But he didn't. No. He didn't. He didn't. No. He lost to childlike innocence. I, I think the technology on the ship was also interesting in the way it drove the aesthetic of the movie. The ship design, you know, I mean... The movie is very dark. It's very contrasted. And I and I think that was probably just, well, it's cool, right? We're, we're coming out of the, the early 2000s. These aesthetics are a little dated at this point, I think. The Matrix was a lot earlier. And um, this was sort of the tail end of that kind of moody, dark, green, um, contrasty look. But also it saved money, right? They could hide things. They, they didn't have to be as detailed in their sets or their costuming, which is fair. Um, there's a lot of tubes everywhere. I don't know if you noticed it's a that. very tube-heavy set design. Very tubes. Um, and the poster, too. <laughs> I noticed that. Poster. I, I mean, it was a good opportunity for them to uh, hide, like, bodies and things in those tubes. I felt like every time someone, like, fell into the tubing, it was like they saw something horrible or themselves got caught in it. The ship design, um, I didn't hate. I think that it felt very sparse, but it felt like a transport ship. Like, it felt like it was made for... Right. Yeah, the hallways leading to where they need to go are long and bare, but the areas that do have things that's where they've like kind of shoved all the technology i did think that their uh flight crew suits felt like very realistic like i was like oh yeah i think that when you know astronauts are are hanging out in space they're wearing these kind of like cargo-ish type pants and those you know those zip-up jackets like those zip-up like athletic jackets Mm -hmm. and I was like, yeah, that actually feels like pretty spot on for like what that look would look like. Yeah, it's super like oily and dirty and everything's wet, which doesn't make sense to me until you get to the end, right? Like, hmm, how did all this water get in here? Yeah, and there's um, a spider. I mean. There's a spider at the beginning. <laughs> don't get me started on that spider, Kate. <laughs> I... <laughs> okay we're gonna take a little detour and then get back to like the aesthetic of the movie and the ship but I could not get over this spider and I need to unpack it for a second because it's really fucking stupid um but for some reason the movie like or the director cuts over to this spider hanging out like on the ship Mm -hmm. and 
And and okay, so the first time I watched this, right, the first go around, at this point, I'm believing the spider has been there for maybe like eight years, right? That's what they say. Mm-hmm. That's what they think at first. And then I find out it's been there for 900 years. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm like, okay, A, this is the only spider we've seen the whole movie, right? So where are the other spiders, I guess? These, there would have to be other these spiders. These are probably not Tanasian spiders because they're <laughs> in the ocean. So, yeah, where did the spider come from? Did the spider just, like, hop on board from Earth? Right, and, like rats yeah. of, of the olden days. And, like, th- that means there must be flies. So did this spider escape from the bio, the bio section of the ship? Because it seemed like Nadia had a pretty good hold on it. Yeah. There's no explanation. Maybe. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, here's a shot of a spider. That's a- It feels like it's, you know, trying to dog whistle that there's something not right. Like, they're in deep space. They're trying to go to another solar system and there's a spider hanging out on board. Like you'd think it'd be super sterile and like no life except where it's being maintained. But no, you have this dusty ship with these spiders with this single spider around. (laughs) Anyway, and I then I was like thinking maybe it was a metaphor. Like this spider is somehow a metaphor them eating what what they have and it stays alive i don't know kate i (laughs) i got way too hung up on this fucking spider and i need to get over it but the spider stuck out to me another unresolved element in this overly complex plot (laughs) (laughs) all right back to this aesthetic this ship aesthetic yeah it's but um the tubes the tubes are everywhere yeah it's like wet and dirty everyone's always dirty nadia has the oiliest clumpiest hair i've ever seen (laughs) and also looks like looks like she came straight out of resident evil which you haven't seen kate but once you do you'll get the costuming (laughs) it's it's like it's very much the same costuming um what did you think of the whispering I thought there was a lot of whispering in this movie. The sound design killed me in this movie. I was watching a version of it that did not have subtitles. And I was kicking myself (laughs) because I was like, I can't understand what's happening in this movie unless I turn it up super loud. And yeah, it was so much whispering. And I, I get it because the monster seemed to be driven by sound there was a lot of whispering going on and I just I couldn't really stand it yes in fact let me share this story with our audience I was watching it for the third time today and couldn't hear it because of the whispering and our dishwasher was running so I turned it up so that I could hear it and I had the subtitles on and I got yelled at by my downstairs neighbor (laughs) for the movie being too loud and I was like but I can't hear it what am I supposed to do? <laughs> I I think if a movie requires subtitles, that's probably a bad sign. And uh, production designers on this movie, you guys got to get your shit together. Well, oh, you can't because this um, production company's gone. Ooh. So wherever you're working now, um, get it together. Don't let this happen again. 
the whispering yeah the whispering is like part of this desire of the movie to be authentic I think and what I mean by that is it's it's trying to be literal right like the monsters can hear them so they whisper you know if you're watching another movie with good sound design they don't whisper you just assume you believe that they are quieter than what the monsters can hear or they do that yell whisper it's, thing that actors are yeah. so good at where it's like right you know they're supposed to be whispering even though they're just talking like this you know like whatever it's like yes. you can still hear them um and it's not for so long. This would go on for so long in this movie. Yeah, whole exchanges um, were happening in this whispered tone. It whole scenes. Was, yeah, it was tough to get through. Yeah, it that part did bother me. I you know along with this attempt at realism, like when the guys came out of their pods, it was just so hard for me to watch. It was so gross. This movie was so gross. The guys had long fingernails because, you know, they'd been in hypersleep for however long, which I hate looking at. I hate to see it. And then they were also like packaged in this skin layer, like this extra layer of weird skin. I don't it didn't really explain what it was for, which I don't hate. I don't mind that. Like I appreciate the care taken in making these feel more real but man it grossed me out <laughs> it was so gross to look at I really hated when he pulled those tubes from his yeah. arm because the design of that actually quite evocative of what it would actually look like to pull tubing out of your yes. arms no it's just like Ugh. it was like good but also like because it's good I hate it (laughs) it's I I almost want to call it body horror but it's this isn't really a body horror movie it's just it's not got some care to things we don't usually pay attention to that it's not body horror it's jolting it's a space madness cannibal mutant (laughs) human space <laughs> horror thriller with a dash of body horror <laughs> yeah so it's just got a little dash yeah. and uh and it's kind of gross but that's all right um but I, yeah i did want to i didn't want to touch on that because i just found it so gross so unappealing to look at uh, but at the same time i appreciate it i don't know how you did it pandorum but you got me <laughs> you got me in the first half yeah what did you think of the post-apocalyptic scenario that they're? Oh, I to love us? that. <laughs> I, I I'm like, let me stop you right there. I love apocalypse movies. I love. I don't. I love that they were like, hey, the Earth is the Earth is over. You're not going back to Earth. It it happened today, right? And he's like, it happened in a day. Like, oh, it must have been a nuclear attack or asteroids and Anna I think who is a gallo is telling him young gallo is telling old gallo uh, it d- doesn't matter like oh no it's not gallo it's uh is it gallo, gallo. or is it Leland okay good yeah, I'm it's getting gallo. my scenes mm-hmm. all confused yeah and gallo is just like does it matter and I'm like no it doesn't matter you're right fuck it earth's gone <laughs> moving on <laughs> I thought that 
the event that makes them go on the the ship the ship is called Elysium because of course it is they have to because there's no resources left on the planet I think they said that there is something like 24 billion people on the planet by the year 2100 yeah it's a lot that's a lot of people that's like three and a half x what we have right now on the planet and it's hard to imagine it is hard to imagine we'll have to put most of them in montana because my understanding is that state is pretty empty uh uh, i liked that i learned something from this movie which was i learned about the phrase um or the concept of the malthusian event which is based on this economist thomas malthus who said that his prediction was that the population of earth would continue to exponentially increase over time without stopping and that we have finite resources in terms of like food and shelter and all of that and a potentially infinite number of population and so there would naturally have this consequence of this huge population crash or fall off where you just cannot support the number of people you have on the planet anymore and that's uh that's this movie and I and I was glad to learn about it because I feel like that's a thing that comes up in other sci-fi movies like quite frequently is this like resource problem that is really interesting because I feel like we don't need to wait for 2173 for that to happen I feel like that's sort of happening already you know just through the natural progression of societies through you know the the stages of being civilizations right like when you after you're a first world country you start to level off you start to understand that you don't need to have so many children in order to keep the farm going there's no farm right you know you you yeah I, I I I'm having a hard time imagining well I don't study this stuff I'm not an astronaut I'm not a I'm not a what I don't know sociologist so I don't know how long it's gonna take but um I have a hard time believing it could be this bad so bad that we haven't figured it out on our own and we have to go find a new planet to fix our problem <laughs> right I think I totally agree one other interesting tidbit and then I'll get off of my like Wikipedia soapbox um, from the rabbit hole I fell into was the the you know current like sociologists and economists are saying that we are already starting to reverse like whatever you would think of as a Malthusian event because in a lot of countries you're starting to see uh, negative population growth. So where people were having replacement children before, so for every one person in a partnership, you have one child. So, you know, a standard population replacement would be two, two children on average per partner. Um, in a lot of places, you're seeing like only like one child like per partnership. And so um, it didn't take that long for like some countries to like start like naturally course correcting in terms of that. And I have to believe that in 2009, that was also the case. Like we were starting to see trends of that 
in different countries. Maybe not a lot, but um, I have to believe that this this is not a new thing that's happening this year. Right. You know, or the past few years. Um, so that, yeah, that scenario is, I don't believe it's going to go down that way, but I still enjoy a good post-apocalyptic. I like don't care. I'm like, cool. They're, they're going to start over. Mm-hmm. I don't care what the reason is. Yeah. <laughs> just, I Just like um, Dennis Quaid. <laughs> I mean, I do think that we as a species would be inclined to colonize any planet that we could, that could support us. Um, especially one that's abandoned, right? Like an empty planet that is able to like house us and give us life like hell yeah like humans are gonna go and conquer that shit like that's what they do so I I like it too I like the I like the concept of doing a a century-long space journey to take humanity like to another solar system I think that's a cool concept there you go. Kate likes Pandorum, folks. <laughs> they kidding. they got me on the space I, journey and on the, the flight jackets. <laughs> you know, to be fair, I also had some grievances. Um, my biggest grievance, it drove me nuts the entire movie, was, was the subject of the fucking wives. <laughs> I got so tired of hearing about the fucking wives and seeing... This woman's close-up, blonde, blue-eyed, blown-out face. Yep. Like, what? I don't care about this. Why are we talking about this? Every one of those flashbacks was shot in that totally blown-out white light. And so we kept calling them the Milk Twins because it was just like they're like they're ultra white bodies and they're ultra blonde hair and they're like light blue eyes. It was just so ridiculous. I, I mean, I guess it's easier to just make it spacey and dreamlike, right? If you're like super white and also blown out. But I, I was just like, you know, in the beginning of the movie, he's like my wife. I, I see... I see this vision of this person in my face and that's why I wake up screaming, I guess. And it, it, and it just kept hitting him every Bauer, every so often he'd remember this and, and we got to go find our wives. They, they, they're somewhere on the ship of 60,000 people. Let's go find them. And I was just like, you know, what if you were on the sunshine ship, buddy? (laughs) Right. He, <laughs> You're not taking this very seriously. He really locked on to the idea that he needed to find his wife first and foremost and dealing with the nuclear reactor, dealing with the cannibal mutants, dealing with his like Pandorum <laughs> stricken captain. Like none of that seemed to matter to him as much as being able to figure out his wife. I love the little nugget at the beginning of kind of foreshadowing that Dennis Quaid isn't who he says he is when uh, there's this little side bar where he's talking to Bauer about um, go finding, you know, the wives. And he says, you know, if you got to, you can't find your wife. I mean, our wives, Mm -hmm. you know, he stops and corrects himself and goes on to tell him why it's a stupid idea. But I didn't catch it the first time around because why would I? And the second time around, I was like, oh, you know, they threw that in because he's not actually Peyton. He doesn't have a wife. It it doesn't come natural to him. 
which I understand contradicts the idea of this amnesia, right? Mm-hmm. None of them should remember this. It's it's all very convenient. Yes, I get it. But they did, I think, purposely make him forget that he had a wife versus, you know, to contrast Bauer being obsessed with his fucking wife. That's the only thing I get out of the wife conversation. Because at some point we realize or Bauer figures out that he's not married <laughs> That his wife left him. Yep, and she's not even and on the ship. And nothing comes of it. Yeah, she's not even on the ship. It's a waste. It matters nothing. Yeah, it's it's supposed to be like a sucker punch, right? Like a like a twist on a twist. Like this, the ending of this movie, the last quarter of this movie is like all of these reveals, but because there are so yeah. many of them you can't be emotionally invested in all of them. It's too much. No. There's too many competing goals. And if they had just streamlined their focus and just picked like the wife as like goal number one and then trying to deal with uh, Pandorum space crazy like as the second one, that would have been great. But because there were so many other things going on, you're just like, okay, well, I'm moving on from that now because I need to go watch this guy fight like the lead alien monster goon right now so I can't I can't care about that anymore (laughs) I think they could have just cut the wives out completely I don't think it mattered at all for this movie I think it had no bearing on how I felt about this movie other than getting in the way of the plot moving forward this movie was almost two hours it didn't need to it be. It felt like it was a four hour long movie. <laughs> it was it was almost two hours and it felt like every single one of its seconds. <laughs> well, I mean, the first time I watched it, yes. But the second and third time I was like, oh, this is pretty good. But but we still don't need the wives. Every time I watched it, I said, I don't need to see anything about the wives. I learned nothing new about it. They're just as annoying as the first time I learned about the wives. Agreed. And rant. Agreed. I have a question for you. Okay. Lay it on me. So we talked about how that one story of the captain who had Pandorum ejected all of those pods with people into space with the implication being that they died a horrible death in space, right? We also see in this movie how the alien goons eat and they keep themselves alive by cracking open a cold one of the pods and <laughs> and um eating the tasty moist center inside which is a which is a human being and we see that we see mm. we see when a, we see these mutants like wake up a person by eating them so <laughs> right would you question of the century would you rather be woken up <laughs> being eaten by a mutant cannibal human or woken up being flung into space oh flung into space like there's even a chance i wouldn't be woken up by that but let's you know for the sake of the question let's say i am i don't want to die screw I mean, I might scream to death going out into space. They too. show people tough. wake up and they show I, them screaming. 
I know, but I don't want to die in pain, Kate. I'm such a coward. I don't want to have my entrails ripped out by like crazy. I'm trying to imagine waking up from a dream to like, yeah, people ripping out my entrails yep. and like wearing them or whatever, eating them. I, I think about, okay, I just watched the Night Stalker uh, limited series on Netflix. It's very good. It's pretty good. Um, and I read the book about it. And what I remember from the book is these scenes written that are described of women or men, whoever, waking up to Richard Ramirez over them, like about to beat them with a fucking hammer, whatever it is <laughs> he's about to do. And I, I can't get over it. I, I can't imagine facing something like that, something attacking me when I wake up. Like when I wake up, Kate, I like... I can barely get out of bed. <laughs> How am I going to fight off a fucking mutant? <laughs> well. I'm going to choose space. You, <laughs> What about you? <laughs> okay. So for me, the difference is would I rather die painfully and quickly or slightly less painfully and horribly, but much more slowly? I think think I would end up, I think I would choose space too. There's a there's a very strong part of me that wants to choose the mutants because I think it would go a lot faster. Like I think that they die within like 30 seconds. A horribly painful 30 seconds, but at least and it's terrifying. At least it's done. I I don't know how long these people are in these pods for in space True. and we don't know if they've got oxygen or not and so we don't know if they starve to death, right? Like, do they have enough oxygen to keep them going and they just end up starving over the course of several days? Or do they slowly lose oxygen over the course of like an hour? It's Ugh. like they're, that seems pretty horrible. And that might actually convince I, me back into the aliens. See, I, I think that they're just going to get cold. Like they're going to freeze to death before anything. I still like, Okay, me, a non-astronaut, thinks that uh, they'll probably freeze to death in their pods or run out of oxygen, which either one might put you to, I think, would put you to sleep first before starvation takes you. That's what I'm banking on here, Kate. I'm banking on what my limited knowledge tells me is more peaceful, and I'm going with um, flying out into space. Yeah. Nice. I hate both, though. <laughs> I thought it was a good would you rather. Yeah, it's a good one. Aw, flash uh, throwback. Yeah, throwback to season three. Still streaming on Spotify. Go check it out. Saw, would you rather. Yeah, season one, too. I have one thing that I do want to bring up, which is. Yeah, please. One of the things I kept harping on over and over when we were watching Jason X was they weren't giving us any space shots. They weren't giving us any cool cinematography mm. of being in space. They weren't really using any uh, anti-gravity. They weren't leaning into those elements that make a space movie a space movie. And I kept saying they might as well have shot this movie on a submarine. If they weren't going <gasps> to use space at all, 
And so at the end of this movie, it turns out they did. At the end of this movie, I was like, they're on a fucking submarine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, they did do some flashbacks. They did show space without it being current right they showed the the ship floating through space right. a few times yeah they, but they did a good job the of, story itself yeah, yeah it turned could have been anywhere it turned out that everything we saw about space was a flashback and that everything that we are currently seeing was them crash landed on tanis in the ocean they were underwater the whole time which the twist was that twist was was done pretty good when it they thought that they were in such deep space that you couldn't see any stars. That reveal. How terrifying. That reveal. I was like, oh, shit, that's really cool. And then they're like, oh, you're just underwater on Tannis. And I was like, oh, <laughs> it would have been cooler if you yeah. were in deep space <laughs> with no stars. Yeah, I thought that was pretty terrifying. But as soon as they said that, actually, oh, there's no stars, I was like, Oh, they're probably not in space anymore. There's something else happening here. But I couldn't. Kate, I'm so slow. I didn't think uh, ocean. Actually, I saw when they showed the, you know, creatures floating by. I was like, oh, ghosts, they're dead. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that there was some kind of like, you're not stupid because I was like, is that some kind of like alien creature? And then I saw a jellyfish and I was like, oh, they're underwater. Yeah, yeah, they had to give us some sort of like earth-like creature so that we could figure it out for the bozos like me who takes so long. Um I did want to just give a I I don't know what else to call this. It's a couple of like shout-outs to obviously Norman Reedus who was in this movie. I think uh Walking Dead had had started by this point, so that's cool that he got to got to be in this movie. Um he had a very quick quick uh arc in in this movie basically just um is one of those characters in a video game that gives you some information and then dies immediately as part of the narrative Mm -hmm. um second shout out uh this scene i love this scene uh where we meet leland living alone and he's the the ex-cook on the ship um who knows where he came from or like how long he's been awake it's not really clear but I love his murals. I love his carved murals that tell the story of Elysium. This plot <laughs> is so convoluted that we completely skipped over the fact that Leland tries to trap and eat our guys. Our heroes. Our heroes. <laughs> and then they convince him not to there's a whole there's like a whole section of the movie where they're just hanging out with this guy who's going to try to eat them <laughs> and then he doesn't and he helps them out they probably could have just cut that whole bit out of him trying to eat them but i think what i liked about it is watching leland I think Leland is a funny weirdo and uh, I, I like I like that he has little carvings that he's etched into the sides of the ship to tell this story like as if he would ever have an audience right <laughs> but he has this whole script memorized and he is just like sharing the story and and 
he, it's like poetry. It's like a song almost that he tells them like these people that he never would have crossed in however long he's been alive. But he has this nice story and uh, some some drawings to go with it. And that's how we learned what really happened on this ship. <laughs> because it's hard to tell until we get to this point. That's true. You need it spelled out for you because it's like, okay, we need a little primer for the audience so that we don't completely lose them. I'm shaking. Well, you didn't lose me, Pandorum. <laughs> I had a good time. I'm shaking my head over here. <laughs> Kate is so disappointed with me. No. Oh, can you. I tell you, Kate? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this in my notes, I have written down um, that Mon, Mon, who is our farmer, I, I, I couldn't tell. You know, this is how bad I am. I couldn't tell who he, like, what he was, or like what he was saying i'm so so bad with um languages accents so i put i put uh bozo with native a native american bozo saves the day (laughs) (laughs) i thought he was native american but he's vietnamese (laughs) our farmer is vietnamese and that's how bad megan is at life (laughs) that's pretty out there (laughs) it is pretty bad (laughs) Um, um, yeah, I, I, liked, yeah. I liked Mon as a character. He was really good. He was cool. I, I loved how they were uh, able to somehow understand each other with like maybe one word out of every hundred that matched up. <laughs> they got to where they needed to go, though, with him. Yeah, they did. Which is a good segue into our segments, if we want to go there. Hell yeah, let's do it. All right, MVP, LVP, you want to go first? Ooh, okay. Um, so we're a pessimistic show, so let's uh, go with least valuable person. Least valuable crewmate first, um, because our segment is LVP, MVP, and our least slash most favorite terrible tech. Um, and my least valuable person on this ship... Now I know everyone thinks it's going to be Dennis Quaid, but uh Dennis Quaid I thought I thought Peyton, you know, wasn't so bad until he realized what he was. He he was helpful. He he talked to Bauer. So I'm going to go with Leland. <laughs> our our friend Leland <laughs> who helps who helps the audience with the plot but is really not helpful to the people he meets. Um he tries to eat them. He he uh, gives us a lot of questions like, um, why, why are you here? Why are you like this? <laughs> what, what really happened to you? And, and not a lot of answers. And then he goes on to double cross the team towards the end. And I was like, all right, you can't be trusted. <laughs> You're my least valuable person on this ship. Oh, the Leland character. It was so... It was so all over the place. You thought he was going to have one arc, and then he just totally subverted it by the end. I mean, I liked him. I liked the character, but not not good to have on a team. <laughs> Definitely not. What about you? My LVP was the Norman Reedus, basically unnamed character. <laughs> he is a very short-lived character on this, but I found him so frustrating because 
This is very early on in the movie when Bauer is at a complete loss for even what's going on. He runs into Shepard, Norman Reedus's character, and he's like, oh, you don't know anything. You know as much as I do. I don't know anything either. But then he, he obviously knows about the aliens, he, and he knows that the aliens can smell you, and he knows that they can hear you. Yeah. And he doesn't just say, like, hey, man, there are murderous creatures aboard. Like, do these things and hide. You'll be fine. Like, he's just, like, like so flustered and, like, doesn't want to give out information and is assuming that he knows everything, but then is, like, not telling him anything about the situation. I, I just dumped a lot of my frustration onto this character. I was like, what is even the point of this guy? <laughs> <laughs> You're right, because he rubs the oil all over himself. And it's like, well, Bauer's not doing that. So he obviously doesn't know that. Right? He, yeah, he doesn't know that. And then <laughs> he's like, and he's like, more. shut up, they'll hear you. And he's like, what? What do you mean they'll hear me? And, and he's like, oh, you know as much as I do. And it's like, obviously not, dude. He doesn't know anything. Yeah. <sighs> Makes sense. Yeah. Well, who is your MVP? Mon. Mon was my MVP. He was there for them. He came through to hold uh, the bridge over the nu- over the pile of writhing mutant bodies to the nuclear <laughs> reactor at the end. Oh, he was yeah. able to hold it up with both Nadia and Bauer's weight on it in order for them to get across and actually um, try and fix it. And so... He was he was just like by far, I think, the most valuable player. He was such a sweetheart. I did like mm-hmm. him a lot. Yeah, he was great. But I I was like, Mon, you idiot. Of course you killed the you gotta kill the child alien. Gosh. I know. He's got a but, heart of um, gold though. Yeah. He couldn't do it. He's so sweet. Yeah. yeah. I didn't blame him for that. Yeah. Well, I went with Nadia, who was our other bozo on the ship who managed to survive. Um, I guess I chose her because she was like, I'm not fucking around. I am surviving, but also I'm not like Leland and trying to eat you. I I will listen to you, (laughs) you know, if you have a good reason for doing what you're doing. Um, and she, she really saves the day a, a few times. She's a good fighter. She faces off against... Uh, Peyton at the end which was super cool we didn't talk about that but she has this really cool fight scene at the end which I I liked it was super cool (laughs) like the other one um and she's also the biologist on the ship she is protecting the the specimen from earth that they want to bring over to Tannis which uh spoiler alert don't most likely survive the uh (laughs) them being sunk under the ocean they didn't have the the biology department didn't really have a a life pod set up but she takes care of it she knows about it she understands what's you know what's at stake and uh that it's important that the ship get fixed so i put her as my mvp i think that makes sense that's very respectable choices very respectable no one picked bauer he talks about his wife too, too much. Too much wife talk. I wasn't into it. <laughs> and he just couldn't ever, like, keep up. 
Also, he was suffering from Pandorum <laughs> throughout, so he kept on getting distracted by his shakes. And his stupid wife, yeah. What about your favorite and or least favorite tech? <laughs> I think that the design of the ship, being able to withstand water like whatever depths of the ocean they're at for over 900 years while sustaining life is both completely unrealistic and really fucking cool (laughs) (laughs) so i went with that i i it's hard for me to imagine nasa or whatever it is you know entity building this ship coming up with a design that would both withstand space and withstand the pressures of water, mm-hmm. right? Like the depths of the ocean. That's those are two very different ships. I have to believe I'm not an astronaut and I'm not a deep sea diver, but I have seen the abyss and I have seen gravity and I have to believe that they are different ships. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my favorite tech that I doubt will exist because it's just too amazing. (laughs) It's pretty cool. Oh, yes. This space slash submarine ship that can eject (laughs) pods out so that they can float to the top of the ocean if they need to. (laughs) Very amazing. It's very smart writing. They knew that would come into play. (laughs) My tech is a lot smaller on, in scale and just something I found annoying throughout the movie was this handgun that Bauer uses. It is futuristic and it kind of slides over the hand and onto the wrist. Uh, does not have a safety as far as I can tell. You just fire away. <laughs> Um, and you just start blasting. You just start blasting. <laughs> and then it also constantly is falling off of his hand. Like there's no like way to like keep it strapped. And so at any moment where he can have this gun fall off of his arm, it falls off of his arm. Like it just causes more problem than it solves problems. And I found it very frustrating. Oh, you know what? I didn't even notice that. <laughs> Did it do that a lot at the like gun important fell parts off of the like three at three different <laughs> critical times? Yes, where he needed to be shooting at something, the gun would fall off of his arm. That's terrible. It was so annoying. You're gonna have to watch it for a fourth time. <laughs> I know I am. <laughs> I am gonna have to do that, and I think I will. Don't you worry. But I I totally miss that tech. <laughs> I give it three mutants out of five. And that's a decent score for me. (sighs) What about you? I was going to give it two random spiders out of five. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I'll give it two. It's not the worst thing I've seen. I would recommend this movie now that you know what what it is. It's kind of silly. It's got some holes but i thought it was fun i thought it was uh i thought it was spooky and i thought the monsters were super cool there was some cool there was just enough action in this horror to make it 
fun to watch um despite despite its many faults so yeah three out of five yeah give it a watch if you feel like it but it is i i had to rent it on amazon it was a dollar 99 or you could try uh a trial subscription to cinemax and get it for free so pick your poison it's out there in the world for the watching should you choose which maybe maybe you won't maybe there are other better movies in the world to watch uh like apollo 18 next week maybe you should watch that one in advance or maybe not we'll let you know next week stay tuned (laughs) bye This was Not Quite Dead. Check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Not Quite Dead Podcast and on Twitter at NQD underscore podcast. Follow our blog for bonus content at notquitedeadpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And happy watching.